Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Mary Scott Mercer and Rachel Autry bring weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Behind the Bliss podcast. We're your host, Mary Scott and Rachel. Today, we are so excited to have Holly Christine Hayes on the show. Holly is an award-winning author, world-renowned recovery ministry expert, and founder and CEO of The Sanctuary Project, a community of advocates bringing hope and healing to survivors of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Before we begin our episode, we wanted to warn everyone who may have little ears around that we will talk about very intense topics in this episode today, including sex trafficking, abortion, and addiction. In today's episode, Holly shares her radical story of coming to know Christ, and there are truly no words for the redemption and rescue God had on her life and the powerful truths that are shared in this episode. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Holly Christine Hayes. Hey, Holly. Hey, Holly. Hey, guys. Oh, my gosh. We are we are so excited to have you. Oh, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we um, we started following you right after we both heard your episode on the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy, and ever since we knew that we were going to start a podcast, we knew we had to have you on the show just to share. Just your story is one of incredible redemption and the rescue of Jesus, and we're just so excited for you to be on our show and to share your story with us. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm so honored because I, as soon as I saw you guys, Mary Scott and I became friends on Instagram. And as soon as I saw you guys were launching a podcast, I was actually hoping you would invite me to be a guest. So I am so, so honored. Well, Holly, can you just take a few minutes and kind of tell the listener who you are and what you're doing and where you live and all of those things? Yeah. So um, my name is Holly Christine Hayes, and I just moved to Austin, Texas from Paris, France, which has been an adjustment to say the least. (laughs) I'm sure. Uh, It's definitely (laughs) very different um, from where I was coming from. And we didn't just move to Austin. We actually like went all in and bought five acres on the outskirts of the city with a vineyard and we built a barn dominium. So we're like full on in country lifestyle Uh, So that's been really fun. That's so amazing. Well, that's so amazing. Well, you also wrote a book in the last year and started a nonprofit. So tell us about those things. Yeah. So um, so my book is called From Basement to Sanctuary, and that just came out last October. Um, And then uh, right after the book released, I started a nonprofit called Sanctuary Project, and we employ survivors of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Uh, We have a jewelry line and we have a candle line. And uh, that's just been such a a culmination of, of so many dreams for me to be working with these women who are coming out of a lifestyle that was similar to my own. So you say lifestyle similar to your own. And of course, we know the story just from listening to you with Jamie Ivey on the happy hour. And we are so excited for you to share this with girls listening and guys listening, everyone listening today. Um, But would you start with your story and what gave you this motivation and this empowerment to be able to help women that were in your same situation? Yeah, so um, so I grew up in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area in a family that didn't have a faith at all. Um, I didn't. Uh, my, there was a lot of worship of intellect in my home, and I didn't really have a sense of of community or identity at all. And uh, there was some abuse in my childhood, 
And I think the trauma of that combined with this sort of lack of identity and community led me to make some really dark choices in my early teenage years. Um, I started drinking and using drugs when I was 14. And uh, very quickly, that spiraled out of control for me. Um, it's interesting. I actually uh, I found that sense of community, or I thought I found that sense of community. It was a false community, but I, I really had felt like I found that place where I fit in and where I belonged, and I could be cool and popular and the life of the party. And I and I really made that my identity, and really ran with that from a young age. Um, by the time I was fifteen, I was drinking and using drugs every day. Uh, by sixteen, I actually dropped out of high school, and um, that was a really sad thing for me because I'd always been a great student and I'd come from a good family and both my parents were professors. And so it was just uh, so out of line and out of character with who I had been in my early life and childhood. But uh, but at that point, drugs and alcohol and just this lifestyle of escape had really taken hold of me and it started making decisions for me. So I found myself uh, falling into really abusive relationships as well early on, and um, and one particularly toxic one starting at the age of 19, um, where uh, he convinced me to start working in the sex industry, and uh, he actually started selling me to his friends. I do want to stop you and ask you a quick question. Yeah. At this point, did you ever have a realization or a epiphany or a moment that you realize this isn't who you wanted to be or what you ever dreamed of doing or being? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think there were moments where I did. I uh, There were moments where where I spent the night in jail or um, I had to do a short jail sentence even. And, and there were moments where I, I would have these moments of clarity of like, this is not who I am supposed to be. This is not the, the girl that I was brought up to be, um, there were a couple of really traumatic rapes that happened. And just after those, it was kind of the same thing. Like, how did I get here? Uh, how did my life get to this point? But, um, but I think because I, I didn't really have any, any hope or anywhere to uh, look for healing or any source of, of true escape from that life, my impulse when I would have those feelings or that, that, that thought or those moments of kind of epiphany of how bad it was, I just ended up going deeper into the drugs for escape. I just ended up going right back to that that lifestyle and just going even the further. The numbing mechanism. It. Exactly. Yeah. Anything yeah. to get out of my brain um, without the without any hope or, or anywhere to go to look for healing, that was the best I, I knew to do. And so I ended up just really most of the time continuing in that cycle and just thinking, well, this is who I am and this is you know, just kind of resigning myself to that life. Was there ever a point in in being a part of the sex industry or prostitution where you realized that you were being human, like being a part of human trafficking or a part of what they call now like modern day slavery? Or did it feel like it was just your boyfriend who was trying to do you a favor? Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, I had absolutely no idea. And um, I'm embarrassed to say it was uh, really just a couple of years ago that I realized that my situation was trafficking. I, um, when, when I think of trafficking, um, I always thought of young women uh, taken from their village in Cambodia and taken to the big city and chained in the basement of a brothel and being raped all day, every day. And Right, um, and right. so that's that's the idea that I had in my mind of what trafficking was, but um, but the, the definition is actually someone being sold by another person using force, fraud, or coercion. 
and certainly in my situation, um, there was there was so much manipulation and and coercion and fraud taking place that I just um, I never would have chosen that. Right? I, I never would have. I, I actually believe no one chooses prostitution. That there's no one who actually would, um, without some deep trauma and some right. sort of manipulation, would actually right. choose that lifestyle because it is so dark. Um, but yeah, I, I really did think it was just my boyfriend. I thought he loved me. And I, and I thought he thought I was so special mm-hmm. that, um, that he wanted other people to experience me. And it's funny because up until that point, I thought I had no value. And uh, I'd been giving it away. You know, I'd just been, I would sleep with anybody who bought me drinks, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say. But, right. um, but when he came along, and he actually told me, you know, you do have value. We can sell you. You're, you're worth this amount of money. Um, all of a sudden, I actually thought for the first time, oh, I have value. And he sees my value. And, uh, and it actually felt like a step up from where I had oh. been, which was, uh, which was valueless, right? And so, so there was so much manipulation mm-hmm. involved in that because I really do think that, that those types of men, those pimps do target women who, um, who have such little value for themselves that they think that, that it's a step up in life to be sold. Yeah. Did you have people in your life too that when they saw this or did you have friends that when they met your boyfriend were able to tell you he's not a great guy or did you feel alone and just that he was the only person that gave you attention so you didn't know different? Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, you know, I pushed away anyone at that point in my life who was healthy um, or, or I would hide in some way, lie and, and, and hide, hide my true self from them or hide what was really going on. Um, but there were certainly people who knew that that relationship was really toxic and really dangerous. And I remember when I first started seeing this man, he had a reputation for um, being really abusive with women. And, and, um, and there, were, there were people who expressed that they were concerned. But I was so lost in addiction at that point, And this man was feeding that addiction, um, both with drugs and, um, and actually manipulating and making me addicted to him and, and to that relationship and the and the drama of it that I just was so, I I was so lost that really there was no one that could have spoken into it enough to have rescued me from it at that point. Well, how did you get from this place of prostitution and living in this abusive relationship to, to finding a way out? Like how did, how did this happen? And this happens to be one of my favorite parts of your story. And so I would love for you to share just kind of how God started pursuing after your heart, even when you didn't know to look for him and no one was telling you about that. Yeah. So, um, so what happened was I started, um, the, the boyfriend who was selling me ended up kicking me out because I kept getting drunk and high and not showing up for the jobs he'd lined up for me. So I actually wow. ended up uh, failing as a prostitute, which is, you'd think the lowest you can go in society is is prostitution, but I went one lower and actually failed and lost my job as a prostitute. Um, oh, uh, and uh, yeah, um, and so I ended up getting getting kicked out of his uh, of his home and and um, and ended up homeless. And and so I was 21 years old and I was homeless and I lost this job as a prostitute. And I, um, and I was, you know, getting arrested all the time. And I knew I was deeply lost in this addiction. And, um, and I was on the floor of a public bathroom one day and I just started crying and I was watching my tears hit the floor. And remember it was this really dirty floor and, and, and the tile was this muddy color and there was mud on the floor and my tears were mixing with all of that mud and three words fell out of my mouth. 
I said, God, help me. And I never believed in God. I had no experience with God. I had never, um, I'd never uh, known any God people even really, you know, other than maybe passing people on a street corner with their signs saying I was going to hell. <laughs> but in that moment, at that bottom, the only words that I could think to say were, God, help me. Wow. And it was just a few hours later that I ended up meeting someone who got me into a recovery program. And uh, that was February 10th of 2001. And I've actually been sober and out of that lifestyle since February 11th of 2001. So that... I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. Full body chills. <laughs> right? When he shows up, he shows up. <laughs> Yes. I love that. That's the first words out of your mouth because it shows this. And this is what I love about the Lord is we, we love the idea of our creator, even if we don't know that yeah. it exists. Yeah. Like oh, our hearts so and our, our natural yes. from the very core pit of us want to acknowledge a higher being. Well, we're image bearers. Yeah. It's so true. And so that yes. it's there, whether we it's want to so recognize true. it or not. It's so true. And when everything's stripped away, it's like the only thing left for our souls to cry is God. You know, that's, it's like the only thing left when, when everything yeah. gets stripped away, the only thing left that I knew was that there was a God and he could help me. <laughs> did you think he was the God of Christianity or like, how did it become like Jesus? Yeah. So that's a great question. Not at all. I mean, I kind of got lost. Uh, it was interesting. So I said this, God help me. Right. And I, and, and, and then it was so clear that he had, it was so clear that there was some God who had met me on that bathroom floor and then given me this whole new life. And, and I had no idea who that God was. And, um, you know, I was so, I was so immersed in a secular world and in a secular mindset that I just looked everywhere that the world says to look. And so I started like meditating and going to yoga classes and, like reading every book that Oprah recommended. And oh, yeah. I was on this search <laughs> to find God. I really was. I was like, I need to know who this God is. Were any of these satisfying? It's like you would go to meditation. You're like, mm, this isn't it. And then you'd go on to the next thing kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was like each thing just kind of didn't match my experience. It was like, well, I know I didn't think my way. I didn't positive think my way into this whole new life. I didn't affirmation my way into this. I didn't, I didn't so like good. center yes. myself enough to receive this. I was in the pit of hell and cried out to God and was rescued, was met in the depths of my mess and sin and heartbreak. And so, yeah, I didn't like yoga position my way into this whole new life, right? And so I am dying. so it was yes. so clear that none of those things were the answer. But what's funny is I never would have considered Christianity. And I think part of that was just I had not um well, I'd never heard the gospel. So I had no idea that Jesus was a real man who actually lived. Um I thought he was a myth like Zeus, and I'm embarrassed to say that. You know, I grew up in California public schools, was taught like you know, here's all the creation myths and here's the truth. It's evolution. And, and, you know, and then I was taught like, oh, here's, here's all the different religions that have happened throughout history, but now we know science. And, um, I just had never, I, I didn't know that Jesus lived it during the Roman empire. Like had, I thought that like, if the Bible had, you know, that there was no way it all happened before recorded history or something. I mean, I'm just so embarrassed at how, um, just clueless I was about the Christian faith because I just didn't really know any Christians. Well, and the only Christians you knew condemned you. 
Absolutely. That was, yeah. I mean, that was my experience. The, the Christians that I met were, you know, street corner evangelists with a, with a picket sign saying, you know, repent or you'll go to hell. And I'm thinking, well, I'm already in hell. So, <laughs> and wow. you know, or, or women outside wow. of the abortion clinic and I'm walking in past these women and they're throwing plastic fetuses at me and telling, and calling me a murderer when, you know, I'm just a 16 year old girl pregnant with a drug baby from an abusive man. And, um, and trying to do the best I can. And I have no idea, you know, I had no idea that that was murder. Right. Um, and so, so I really hadn't been presented with, uh, with a gospel or a God that, um, that I thought would offer me any help in a situation like I had been in. It, had, it would never have occurred to me that Jesus would meet someone on the floor of a public bathroom in the mud. You know, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't match with those, with those picket signs that I had seen. Wow. What did it do for you when you finally did read John, when Jesus met the woman at the well? Did that just completely blow you away? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that I, so I had this Bible, I had a stolen Bible, <laughs> I had stolen a Bible I, and I, it was so funny. So I, <laughs> met some, I know, right. Oh He'll God. use anything. I'll tell you. He'll use a muddy bathroom floor and a stolen Bible if he has to. <laughs> So I had uh, I had met someone who told me uh, I had a friend who told me that God speaks to her through the Bible, and uh, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. Either she's crazy or there's something to this this Bible book of hers. And and so I went and I grabbed this stolen Bible and I said, okay, God, if you're real and if you're in here, speak to me. And uh, and then I tipped it open and um, and I started reading and it was John eight and it was the story where uh, where a woman is caught in adultery and brought before Jesus thrown in the mud which you know how apropos um, and 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 right there Gosh. in the mud Jesus stoops down and meets her and um, and says to the crowd let he who is without sin cast the first stone so that addressed my you know. That, that was so perfect oh, at addressing wow. what I had experienced from um, those Christians that I um, that I'd encountered with the with the picket signs and and uh, I thought wow this Jesus has a different take on it and um, and then he meets the woman on the ground and he says do, do none of them condemn you neither do I go and sin no more and so he forgives her and and he says you know now you're empowered to go and, and leave this life of sin. And it was so clear in that moment that this is the God that would go around to public bathrooms picking girls like me up off the floor and giving them a whole new life. I mean, oh, <laughs> there's just really no words. And I, I have so many questions and I feel like I really want to know, like, how do you how do you go from this? And obviously we know where you are now and you're married. And But how do you go? And I think this is the whole point of the book is how do you go from that to to being a wife who lives in Austin and the mom of three chickens. I don't know if you saw, but I just, I just brought three chickens. We just adopted <laughs> three chickens. Yeah. <laughs> like how does God, how does this happen? And like what happens inside your brain and yeah. in your heart and in your mind to, to not be constantly thinking back and, and feeling the chains of the mental imagery and violence that you went through and, and the abortions, like how does your heart, like what did God do to heal that, to allow you and to prepare your husband for all that was, would come for you and your ministry together now as your, as your husband and wife? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's been 17 and a half years now. And so, um, and, and there's, it's been a process. Um, there are things that Jesus healed in me immediately, and he can do that. Um, there are things that he took from me so quickly. The addiction was gone the moment he met me. 
um, the, I was removed from that abusive relationship immediately. Um, there are things that happened really immediately in my soul that, that comforted me and that, and that brought me peace and that brought me identity and community. And, uh, and then there are things that took more time and there are things that had to heal, uh, slowly and, and with his grace and with his mercy and, um, and even with the help of professionals, you know, I've, um, I've seen counselors over the years and, um, and seen pastors over the years who've, who've done inner healing work with me. But what's amazing about Jesus is that after I read that, that story in John eight, um, I just knew I needed to know more. And I, and I knew I wanted to know everything about this God who would rescue someone like me and who would love someone like me. And, uh, and so I went back and I read the whole New Testament uh, over the course of the next, I think it was like month or two. And then I, I went back and read the Old Testament after that. And, and I took about a year to read through the Bible. Um, and, and at the end of that year, I really felt like, okay, I, I'm in, I want, I want this life. And, uh, and I went and was baptized and, um, and it was still another six months after I was baptized. I went to Israel to be baptized because I didn't know you could just go to a church. <laughs> still hadn't been to a church. That's the best thing ever. I was so afraid to walk into a church building. I was like, I don't know. It might burn down when I walk in. <laughs> so I, um, so about a year and a half after I met Jesus, I, I went into a church for the first time and I realized, you know, there's, um, there's a community here and a family here that um that that has the ability to give such grace and such nurturing and you know I didn't have a perfect family I didn't I I wasn't necessarily shaped in healthy ways um and that childhood abuse had really warped a lot of my ideas about um about relationships and 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 yet I was met and adopted into this family and um and it, and I think it's been just over the last uh, eight and a half nine years of, of being in the church and walking through um, growth with a church family. And, and it's been a, a few different church families for me because I've lived in a few different cities, but, um, but walking through growth and, and getting spiritual accountability, accountability, getting mentorship, um, really putting myself under the authority of a church and a, and a community. And so much of my healing has actually taken place there. Um, I'm also a big fan of of twelve step recovery. I uh, in those years that I was seeking God before I met Jesus, I spent a lot of years in the basements of churches, in um, in twelve step recovery groups, and um, and learned so much about how to really be vulnerable and how to um, how to the you know just the mm-hmm. discipline of confession and repentance and um, and bringing our honest, true selves and really trusting that that God can handle it and that God can heal it. And, uh, and, and the, what I learned in that community, I've really been passionate about bringing into my own church community. Um, and I'm, I'm really passionate about seeing that spread into church communities everywhere, uh, that vulnerability that we see in the basements. And so a lot of my book is about that, um, about what's happening in the basements of churches yeah. and how we can bring that spirit up into the sanctuary. I love it. And here's the thing, Holly, and I'll be really vulnerable and honest with you. I think that if you were to tell me your story when I was in high school, um, probably the first few years of high school where, um, I didn't want to touch anything quote unquote bad with a 10 foot pole. I was yeah. staying away <laughs> and I heard your story. I would think, oh, I can't not love her well because I didn't oh. think I understood you because I, um, not even was afraid of you, but just didn't, I didn't want to associate myself. And so I feel like, yeah. and this is me confessing and honestly getting a little emotional because I think there are so many women that hear stories like yours 
that um, are scared to love you yeah. or scared to help you or offer grace and compassion. And so I almost want to speak to the girls that might be listening that were like me, like the previous me mm-hmm. that didn't understand the love of Jesus and what he can do with our messes. And that's the whole purpose of this, right? Mm-hmm. Behind the bliss. Yeah. <laughs> what is, what's the mess that we're all walking through? Because I can't judge you because it's by the grace of God that that's not my story too. Yeah. Do you know? And so figuring out we are one step away from falling in sin. We are one step away from turning our eyes from Jesus and falling in whatever kind of sin that looks like, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's moral failure, you name it, like that could be us. Yeah. And so um, we don't have room to judge and really we are not what we do. We are who we've been created to be. And so one, wanted, wanted to apologize. Aww. I just feel like, I, I, yeah, I'm having this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but also want to speak on just behalf of you and as a friend and honor you and say you're so brave to tell mm-hmm. your story in a world where the capital C church is perfect and lovely. But when we operate like lower C churches, we really can fail people like you that need open arms and a I home. love that Rachel thank you that's such a that was such a beautiful confession and and I think so important because you know we as the church pray all the time God save the lost we pray you would save the sinner we pray you would save the addicts bring them to yes. repentance bring them to us right we pray that God would save the lost and the lonely and the broken but then when they come to our churches we have yes. no idea what to do wow. with them well, so what would you say to that person? What would, if you, like, if you were the person in church who, who had, you needed to love you, like, who is that person? Did, was there that person for you? Or who could that person have been had the church been healthier? Yeah, I think it's such great questions. You know, I think, like, I think we need to, I love, I love what Rachel said about that could be any of us, because I think in some ways mm-hmm. we need to have a frame of mind that says, you know, just, if I had just been born into a different family, that could have been my story. If, you know, one, one wrong move, if I'd gone to that party in high school, gosh, I could have, I might've tried drugs and that could have been my story. Or mm-hmm. gosh, if like, if I'd been raped by, you know, or if there was childhood abuse or something, gosh, that could have been my story. And so I think the more we can have compassion and understand there but for the grace of God go I with anyone. And I still have to practice this today because like, I don't look like my story in a lot of ways today, you know? Um, and so, so when I meet like someone who's just straight off the streets, like I sometimes even have to be aware, like Holly, that's you, you know, that person is you, like you might be clean today, but you weren't on February 11th of 2001, you had a stained sweater and you smelled and you walked into the basement of a church and some people loved on you and welcomed you and told you that, that you were right where you belonged. And, uh, and so I think that we as a church just need to not be afraid to welcome people right where they're at. I think sometimes we get so afraid of like, well, we've mm-hmm. got to get them. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of sin management in the church, which is super important. It's vital. Wow. Um, it it mm-hmm. is. Uh, I am a big fan of being discipled and making disciples. Um, I think managing sin is vital. I think we need to live upright lives. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, but there's also got to be space for growth. And we need to be able to see people where they're at, love them where they're at, and, and um really just meet them exactly in that space. So, uh, you know, a lot of the girls that I work with at Sanctuary Project, they come to me straight from that lifestyle and they don't have, 
you know, we call them hooker clothes. <laughs> they only have hooker clothes when they first come to me. And, and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I love it. And I say, don't worry about it. Come and work and wear those booty shorts. And I love you. And we will get you some new clothes, yeah. but don't you worry about that right now. You come in your hooker shorts, you know? <laughs> and um, I can say that because I was one. So, <laughs> but, but I think as a church, we need to, to have that mentality a little bit of like, come in your sin. Come as you are. Come in your hooker shorts, you know, come, come come as you are. And, and, you know, those things can become slogans and they can become this, um, you know, we want to churchify everything and make everything a movement, but really it's just about one person loving another person. And so, um, so, you know, we don't need to make a big slogan, a banner on the front of our church that says, we welcome you as you are, come as you are. We can just actually, as the Mm -hmm. church, love people when they walk in and say, are you hungry? Do you need, Hey, you know what? I have some clothes I'm getting rid of. Do you need any clothes? And so I think if we just take that posture of individually loving humans rather than thinking we need to make some big corporate shift as a church in order to welcome people better, um, I think because I think ultimately some of the, the um, church slogans and things can actually feel inauthentic or, or ingenuine, where when one person just looks another person in the eye and says, I love you, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and don't worry about what you're wearing. You look beautiful. You are beautiful. God loves you. You are right where you're supposed to be. We're so glad you're here. Can I get you a cookie? (laughs) You know, and if we can, if we can just individually take that posture, I think that we can start to see a big, big shift in, in the, in this, the capital C church, like you said, Rachel. And the cool thing that I can pull from this is calling. And I love how you said, reminding them who they are, not, who they're being and not who they're operating in and the spirits that they're choosing to operate in, but figuring out what can I call out in them that is fruit and that is life. Even if there's not much, like what can I encourage them and honestly like prophesy into existence for them on their behalf? Absolutely. And it reminds me of um, like Noah and his covenant. If we looked at scripture, like Noah was naked and drunk in a tent and his sons had Mm -hmm. to cover him and love him and help him. And that's when, after he got sober, the Lord gave him the covenant with the ark and said, you will yeah. lead generations like you will save the people. Here's your sign of a rainbow and promise. And none of that happened um, because of his mistakes. But I think what's so beautiful in that story is his sons were quick to cover and protect him That's rather beautiful. than expose him and call him out. It can be just meeting people that. where they are regardless of you know, what we put in a thermostat of good. I love that, Rachel. What a beautiful image of, um, of how God loves us that, um, that when we're drunk and naked, (laughs) that, that, (laughs) that our sons would cover us. Right. And I think as community that we can absolutely be that for each other. And, and that doesn't mean we have to leave people in their sin. You know, we get to, when, once someone feels loved and once they feel cared for, and once we've, like Rachel was saying, once we've called out their identity and we've spoken into them, like, this is how I see you. And gosh, yeah, you've been out there selling drugs. You're so entrepreneurial. I could see God doing big things with you one day and he's going to use all that for good. And you know, whatever it is, um, I, I, I speak in the jails a lot and I love telling those girls, you are so smart and you are so strategic and everything that you've been doing you know, that got you here, you could actually do it legally and you'd probably completely drive <laughs> at it because, 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 you know, you have to be so strategic to be a criminal. And, you know, and I think like the more we can call good out in people, like you were saying, Rachel, then, and then, then we have the opportunity to speak into their lives. Then we can say, you know, Hey, have you thought about your relationships and, and how you might want to honor God with your body? Um, you know, that, 
I remember uh, someone who was discipling me having that conversation with me of like, you know, she had made the decision to wait until marriage to have sex. And she said, you know, Holly, you can make that same decision, even though you've, even though you've been uh, where you've been, you can actually, you can actually make that decision today that you want to be pure for your future husband. And, um, and, you know, and so, so it was so great because she, he does. And she didn't leave me there. You know, she loved me where I was at, but also invited me into a holiness that, um, that I then felt safe to step into in that place of being really, really loved. And, um, and, and Mary Scott, earlier, you were asking about going from, from being a prostitute to being married. And part of that journey was stepping into celibacy and was really letting God take hold of, yes. of my sexuality in that way. Um, I did wait until, until my wedding night, which was amazing. We just celebrated our two year anniversary on Monday. So did Rachel um, and I. I love that. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> so but that was, that journey was really special because, um, because really surrendering my sexuality to God and saying, God, you say that I am white as snow. You say I am brand new. And I'll tell you what, on my wedding night, I was so nervous. I made my husband drink half a bottle of champagne. And (laughs) I was so nervous for him to see me naked for the first time. I mean, I literally truly was like, was made brand new, like a virgin. And, um, and, uh, and I, and, and, in every way, I feel God has removed all of that sin from me and all of that shame from me and, and has saved me entirely for my husband, which is really special. That's so special. Well, can we talk about your husband for a second? Yeah. Because I feel, I feel like it would be. I, if I was listening to this, I would want to know, like, how did how do you meet? How did you meet your husband? How did you tell him all of this stuff? How did he like? Has it just been like the most redemptive thing in the world? All of those things. How did you tell him? I yeah, I need to know everything. Yeah. So it was. Um, so my husband and I met in a Bible study back in San Francisco before I moved to Paris. And, um, you know, I feel like God gave me so much grace because um, he got to hear my story unveiled in the context of a Bible study. And so we were all studying the Bible together and, um, and I was on staff with, with one church and, um, in, in the San Francisco Bay area and, and going to a Bible study at a different church, mostly to meet cute, cute boys like my husband. Hey, we've all done it. We've but all I, done it. <laughs> we've all studied the Bible to yes. meet boys. We're going to just admit it right now. <laughs> I did meet my husband on a mission trip. There I was go. about to say, Mary Scott met Daniel on a mission trip too. And I met Thomas in youth there group. So <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So he kind of got my story revealed to him over time in that context. And, um, and we just had a friendship. And, um, and so I knew he wasn't scared off by me. I knew he saw uh, the redemptive love of God over my life. Um, I had a little crush on him and he didn't ask me out. And so I was like, oh, I guess you know, I guess he's not interested. And I was kind of bummed because we were like the two single people in our thirties in this Bible study. And so I was like, oh, it's totally like this is perfect, you know, and our Bible study even accidentally set us up one night. They were like, let's all go see Gone with the Wind at this theater that it's playing at. And then none of them showed up except for Jeff and I. So we had this like first accidental date that I think our community group had completely arranged, like, let's all just not show up and Holly and Jeff will go on a date. I love it. Um, Well, little did I know that he uh, was in the process of discerning a move to Texas at that time. And so he didn't ask me out because he was feeling called to move to Texas. And so um, 
so uh, fast forward about a, a year or so. Well, he moved to Texas and he started sending me little letters in the mail, which I just thought was the sweetest thing. But just as friends, like just sending me like greeting cards that made him think of me. And Were you in Paris at this point or still in California? I was in California and then I moved to Paris. And when I moved to Paris, okay. he even sent me these little macaroon mugs. Like these, Stop. they were like these tiny oh. espresso mugs with little macaroons on them. You guys, my mom didn't even send me a gift when I moved to Paris. And sweet Jeff Hayes had like sent me these macaroon mugs. I love this. So just, wow. just little sweet gestures like that. And I thought, gosh, someone like him, God, someone like him. And, um, but you know, he'd never asked me out. So I just thought, I guess he's not interested and I'm not going to pursue him. Cause I, you know, I know the man that God has for me is going to pursue me. And, um, and so, uh, so there I was living in Paris and he was living in Texas. And then one weekend I was home for a wedding back in San Francisco for a wedding. And he was back in San Francisco for a funeral. And, uh, we ended up, uh, seeing that we were both in town and connecting and, and, uh, and he invited me to have dinner just to catch up. And, and during that dinner, we completely fell in love and uh, just had, we had like an eight hour date and drove to the beach and sat by a bonfire and, and just talked about everything. And, I remember like I really revealed kind of the fullness of my story to him that night and he revealed the fullness of his story to me that night. And, and right after I, I revealed it, um, he teared up and he said, now I know where your joy comes from. Oh, wow. He just, he, he, he just could so, (laughs) so clearly see, um, what God had brought me through and how it had just knit me so close to the heart of God and so close to, to identity in him. Well, I'm pulling out my Bible because this is just ironic that you said that because this morning I was reading um, in Psalm 34 oh, I love Psalm about 34. about David and he was saying, you know, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears and those who look to him are radiant mm-hmm. and their faces are never covered with shame. And just realizing like the only, like the people who truly are radiant with Christ are those who did have to seek the Lord yeah. to be brought from their pit of literal hell, like you said, and no one can shine like that if they haven't already been yeah. there. And, and I just think there's, that's, I'm so thankful that you said that because I've been thinking about that all day today of like, what makes someone shine? And there's just truly no other answer. And so I'm so glad he said that to you. How special. Oh, I beautiful. Love it. And yeah, I love that, that picture, Mary Scott, because it's, you know, if you think about like a diamond, it's, it's this lump of coal. And then it gets put under intense pressure over time, intense pressure. And then what ends up coming out of it is a diamond. And, you know, if that's how God created nature, that's how he created us too. That that intense pressure um, can take yep. an icky, dirty lump of coal like me <laughs> and and make a diamond. And um, and that's always his desire, I think, with our lives is because we're all going to have pressure and we're all going to have heartbreak and we all have different capacities for that and different, um, different, you know, maybe destiny in that, like, you know, God may have a lot more, for, more heartache for one person than another, um, just based on their circumstances. But, um, not that God ever has heartache for people. It's always from the other guy, but, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but the, um, but the result of it that God always wants to bring out of it is, is that diamond, is that radiant that, uh, that, that as we turn our gaze to him, as we fix our eyes on him, that he makes us radiant, that in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And then that joy of the Lord is our strength, right? That that joy is what gets us through. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's absolutely been my experience. Holly, thank you so much. You're a rock star. That was that was so good. I feel like I'm going to be like chewing on this for days. Oh, my heart feels like it's going to leap out of my chest. 
Oh my gosh. Um, well, Holly, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, we always love to kind of end our shows with just kind of seeing what our, our, um, our guests are loving and what they're reading or anything fun that you just like can kind of can't get enough of and you want to tell all your people about. Okay, I am so obsessed with Sanctuary Project right now. I'm embarrassed to say I don't even like look okay, at anything Okay, we'll talk else. about <laughs> it. Let's talk about it. Yes. I'm like, what am I loving right now? And it, it's just like, I'm loving, I'm loving what I'm doing. Honestly, you know, I'm loving, I'm yes. loving giving my life to these women. I'm loving, I'm loving what we're creating together. I'm loving creating in community. Um, we're working on, uh, we're working on, on the line, uh, we're working on the jewelry line and, and some new pieces coming out. And it's just been so exciting, really uh, diving into that with community. Community. Um, the initial line I created all in isolation and um, and now inviting community into that has been really special. I think um, art thrives in community and, and creation is always best when we do it with, with mm-hmm. others. And mm-hmm. so, um, so I'm loving that and uh, I'm loving what we're, what we're coming up with for, uh, for, for the line. And um, I, I also, so what I've been like going back to CS Lewis lately and, okay. um, I am I so I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. I um, I read Mere Christianity very early on in my walk with God, and it transformed me. It was there's I, in some ways I think there's there's no greater book other than the Bible written on Christianity um, that so eloquently addresses all of the early questions that someone might have. And I'm I'm loving going back and rereading that and the Great Divorce right now because um, I think there's such rich spiritual depth and and uh, and just back to basics discipleship tools uh, within your Christianity. Um, I because I work with these girls who are you know pretty fresh. Um, I want to make sure that I have the the real basics of Christianity presented well for them. That's so and, uh, and so, so I'm loving that. Uh, it's so old school, but it's so, so good. Well, I've never read it, so I'm feeling like oh I need my to gosh. do that. Yes. And, and The Great Divorce, too. The Great Divorce is, um, is one of the most beautiful. It's a fiction, but it's about heaven and hell. And, um, and it's so beautifully written. And, and the imagery is so powerful. And um, I won't give it away if you haven't read it. Um, but screw tape letters too. I think that one's going to be next. I have like my little C.S. Lewis box set that I read kind of in my first couple of years coming to Christ that I've pulled back out again. And I'm rereading just to get that, like just the richness of his words and and that, that literary uh, depth that he brings. I love it. I bet you love that too, coming from what, like you said, an intellectual home. I do. It's funny. Yeah. God has really redeemed that for me as well. It's been really interesting. I, um, my mother's an English professor, and um, and so it's been really bonding for us that I'm writing now because she always encouraged wow. she always encouraged me as a writer when I was young, and I was like, "No, mom, I'm going to be a movie star. I want to be an actress," <laughs> and uh, you know, just kind of rebelling against everything that that they were. Um, but uh, you know, I told my mom as I was writing my book from Basement to Sanctuary, I could feel her with me. Um, like Holly, that's a dead word. Start that. How about, you know, you already started, you already started a sentence in that paragraph with that word and just kind of coaching me subtly, um, through the whole process. And so it's been this wonderful bonding experience for us and really healing and redemptive to, uh, to be sharing that. And, um, and she really loved the book as well, which was, which was a great feeling. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Slowly but surely, each each person in my family has been coming to Christ as well, oh. which has been a really amazing journey. Wow. Wow. Well, that I just don't really have any more words. <laughs> um, <laughs> gosh. Well, I just can't thank you enough for taking time to to be so brave 
all everywhere that you're brave um, and sharing your story. And where, like, where can everyone follow you? And I know, are you on a book tour right now? Or are you touring with Women of Faith? Or where can people just kind of latch on to you and follow what you're doing? Yeah, so um, I'll be doing stuff with Women of Faith in the future. Um, they, uh, I'm, I'm currently a voice for Women of Faith and uh, been creating some content for them. And um, so follow along there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, follow me on Instagram. I'm so bad about Facebook. I'm trying to be better, but I, uh, I do have an author page on Facebook. So, um, so follow there and, and Instagram. I like to keep people updated on my life and, uh, and please follow sanctuary project as well. So much of myself is being poured into that right now. And, um, and we'll be having some updates coming along shortly. We're also doing some fundraising right now, um, looking for supporters who can partner with us and, um, and really help to support these ladies. We want to get a safe house for them. Um, we're, uh, we're realizing that, that housing and just having beds for them is a, is a huge, huge need and issue. So we can employ them all day long, but if they don't have a safe place to live and, and a bed to go to at night, then, um, then there's nothing much we can do. So, um, so if people want to support, we would love that support. We have a donate button on the, on the website at sanctuary-project.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm starting to, to write another book. And so, oh, um, yeah, so follow along. Uh, and, and, uh, and I think that one's going to be about mess and mercy and, and a lot of the things we talked about today. So, um, so I'm really excited about that. So, so follow along for Gosh, updates there. Yay. Yes. Thrilled to follow you on all this. You are amazing. And like I said, and like Mary Scott said too, oh. we're so thankful for you and your vulnerability and just sharing all of what was behind your bliss because, Wow. What a fun story and redemption. That's just yeah. what I keep hearing of your life is redemption. Absolutely. Mm. Well, I'm such a big fan of you all and what you're doing. And I just love this podcast and I'm so happy for you guys. And uh, I just, I can't wait to see what God does with it. You're the sweetest. Thank you so much, Holly. Bye friends. Y'all, no lie, we're in straight up tears after this episode. This is probably the most magical episode we've ever had, both because of Holly and her story, but also with this being our first interview done together. How fun! If you left this episode feeling a burden for those who may have had a similar story to Holly and feel led to help support her ministry, you can learn more by following Holly and the Sanctuary Project both on social media and online. Side note. Make sure you're following at Behind the Bliss Podcast on Instagram so you can see how we are partnering with Holly to treat you, our listeners. We have been so encouraged by everyone's support for the podcast. Truly, it blows our mind to read your direct messages, emails, Instagram posts, and reviews on iTunes. Speaking of reviews, would you take 30 seconds and leave us a review on iTunes? Reviews are so helpful for those who may have never heard about our show decide to join our community of listeners. You can find everything we talked about in today's episode on our website at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.